Hey, 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 hey. Part two, Ross Rubliotti coming up. If you haven't already, please go check out Not Enough Mics on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to rate this uh, five stars, go ahead and leave a review. That's always nice too. Uh, yeah, thanks. Hope you enjoyed part one. And now, without further ado, enjoy part two. That rhymed. Uh, I'm leaving. Enjoy. Peace. Oh, com- completely. Because you look at the you look at the Olympics before that was ninety. It was like the Harrigan, or Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding thing. That was a huge story because Olympics aren't just you know national. They're international stories. And then within your Olympics, we had Lipinski and Quan were huge stories. The Herminator uh, had I think two gold medals. But your story yeah. was not only just within uh, the Olympics. It was a, it was a worldwide story. This took on a whole life of its own. Um, it was a cultural thing. It really was. Yeah. And now you're probably going in there. You're a regular guy from Whistler, just a dude that's working his ass <laughs> off doing this. So I'm, I'm guessing, and please correct me if I'm wrong. You're just going in there preparing for this race. And obviously you want to win. There, you, there's probably nothing that could have compared or prepared you for what happened afterwards. though. I'd imagine. That's right. Yeah. It was just insane. Um, you know, you don't notice as much going through it as you do kind of over time and then you look back on it but um there was a lot of people pulling me to do this or that or to to come and appear at different things and um there was tons of support and and people that sent me fan mail and stuff like that and there was also tons of opposition just like you would imagine uh during prohibition back in those days was you know totally different than than how we roll today um but you know it was yeah there's no there's no playbook to all of a sudden be known like i was known within snowboarding like i'd been on of course covers of snowboard magazines and you know in the snowboard media you know Mm -hmm. and i was used to to that and so that kind of helped me you know I, i wasn't coming out of nowhere and all of a sudden this happened to me so i was kind of used to you know, a certain amount of attention um, right. that way. But this was completely sort of, you know, the norm. And, you know, that it was, it lasted for quite a while, you know, and I would argue like, you know, it was definitely more than 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would think so. I would think so as well. Every, there's not too many people that, that don't know the story and, uh, and what you had to endure um, there as an athlete. And uh, yeah, I don't think anybody would have been uh, prepared for that. And to me, it was a bunch of bullshit, uh, in my opinion, because it's not banned. And then for them to put you on that platform with, a, with, with I truly believe, was a hidden agenda um, wasn't cool. But then you, you even had to go to Japanese jail, right? And I know you've answered these yeah. questions a lot of the time, so we can... Uh, we can. I don't want to get into it too much because I know it's probably no. I mean, it's fine. Like nothing bad happened. <laughs> no, I know I got gotcha, you, but but it was definitely yeah. That's it's it's true, right? That's a fact. I was in in jail. There's a, a you know on online there's a video of me holding up my medal when I got it back again, and that was me getting out of jail, standing in, on the front steps of the jail. Is that where you're wearing and, the uh, um, the sw- the sweater? The, that was the, when I first arrived in Nagano from the ski resort. I had that sweater on. Okay. And right. um, that was actually a gift from a, a girl from the Polish team. Okay. Who knew I liked 
sweaters and brought me that sweater from Poland to Nagano um, as a gift. And then because I was in this controversy, I didn't want to wear my national team jacket. And so I wore that, that sweater instead. Ah, nice, nice. Yeah, I could see, I could see that. One thing that stuck out to me during this whole time is it seemed like you, you stayed true to yourself. And that's what I really respected going back. I've watched a lot of your interviews. I kind of remember around that time, but like going back to you, like when people, for example, you did that, you wore a sweater rather than wearing your, your national colors or your, your given jacket. Very cool. Very respectful. Um, even though none of this was your fault. Uh, secondly, I remember uh, looking at or listening to one of your interviews and you're just like, no, like these are my friends and I'm going to fucking still hang out with my friends regardless of any of this. So nobody's going to change that. I really, I really respected that about you, man. Thanks. Well, yeah, you know, it was gut check time. And I guess I had to figure out in a hurry, like what mattered to me the most and, and uh, who I was. And I just want to be like, you know, the guy that was pretending to, that it didn't happen and I'm not really like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm living a lie, right? So, um, yeah, I really wanted just to set the stage right from the beginning. Like, yeah, look, like I smoked weed, but I stopped smoking so I could meet Olympic criteria, Um, you know? And it wasn't that, you know, it's like, oh, I have no idea how this happened. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Yeah. So what do you say to those people that like, that might not believe you or do you, or do you care? I don't care what they think. Right. I don't, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Good. Good. As you shouldn't, it is, it is what it, it is what it is and things happened and, um, yeah. and that's just the way she goes. Now, what, what do you think would happen if uh, Twitter was available during this time <laughs> or social or, so, or social media? I was thinking about that yesterday and I'm going, Wow. This would have just been a shitstorm. Yeah. It, <laughs> well, you know what? I, I guess it's all relative. Like, even because we didn't have Twitter, it was probably, you know, exponentially a shitstorm anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, In context, right? Yeah, for the time, it was the, the shitstorm, wasn't it? <laughs> but I think if, you know, the if we the internet was that much younger to have been the way it is today, 20 years ago. So it would have had to start in the 1970 or 19. Yeah. Pretty on 1980. Um, yeah. It just would have been a totally, I mean, who knows, right. Speculating on, on the, on the internet from night, yeah. those days. I mean, the internet's definitely changed everything and, and cell phones and having the ability to communicate. Like we didn't have phones in, in Japan with us, no. like cell phones. Uh, nobody even had emails at the time. Like there was, you could have an email, but nobody was using email yet. Like it was still a joke to think that all businesses were eventually going to have to operate with an email true. At, at the time. And, um, you know, here we are today where, you know, people are operating online hundred percent because, you know, we're either quarantined at home or, or, uh, and bored to death and everybody's online or who knows. Yeah, to put it in perspective, in 1998, Viagra came to uh, was invented, and Google <laughs> that was the first first for both. 1998. Yeah, <laughs> so that puts that's it. A, a little perspective. So, you know, with the social media, you know, is obviously uh, a big hoopla. The most important thing is that the medal that you earned and worked your ass off for, you got back. Um, now, 
would you have changed anything? Like all this happened to you, both positive, obviously with the outcome, uh, you got your medal, you're an Olympic champion and the first ever, and you're a pioneer and you set the stage for so many things moving forward, not only Olympic games, X games, uh, snowboard culture, etc. Was there, is there anything that you would look back on and change or, or would you kind of just let it roll as it did? I know it's, I think letting it roll as it as it did is is the only way to go. Uh, you know, there's no, I mean, looking back on on stuff, there's lots of you know missed opportunities I could point to towards, or um, you know, things I could have done better, or things I said that I shouldn't have said, or whatever. But um, you know. To be honest, it's it's just been a big learning curve, and and you know life is like that. There's no, you know, take backs, and and um, there's no reset button or extra lives or or anything. And you get what you get, and um, you know it's like a box of chocolates, right? <laughs> and so you just have Very to true. Very true. be accepting of, of 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 things. Otherwise, you 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 can end up you know, going down rabbit holes and, and never, never moving forward. So I think, you know, for me, it was, you know, imperative. And I think cannabis helped me also to, you know, keep, you know, one foot in front of the other and over the years to, um, you know, look for the open doors and, and, you know, there was lots of opportunities that, that were, that came and went um, without seeing them to fruition just because of, you know, prohibition and, and stereotype and, and all that stuff. And at the same time, there was lots of open doors that, um, you know, are proving to be, uh, you know, the whole cannabis industry, for example, you know, it's an opportunity right there mm-hmm. um, for me to be a part of something that really matters and really counts and is important. And, um, you know, we went from 1998 to now where it's considered an essential service, right, right? In, in Canada. And, um, you know, that's something that I can look back on and, and be proud to have been a part of. Yeah, so, like, what would you say to that? Like, with regards to cannabis, that people who have that stigma attached to it, and you know, weed's the devil. Like, what, like what would you... What would you say to those people that still have weed on, like, they almost compare it to, like, say, cocaine or something? What would you say to those people? Um, I mean, it's just a matter of opinion uh, at this point. And, you know, that's their opinion. They can have it. Mm-hmm. It's up to them, yeah. you know, how they want to live their lives. And, you know, if they want to single out a, a group, to hate on, I mean, that's their prerogative. <laughs> you yeah, know? No, that's, uh, that's, there's no scientific evidence <laughs> to back up their, their position, that's for sure. Yeah. No. Um, and, and so it's really kind of like a no-go. I mean, look, there's enough people out there who want to smoke weed that we can't even get weed to, let alone try to get people who don't smoke weed to smoke weed. And, um, you know, I, I think... Uh, seeing lineups at the cannabis stores recently is uh, a testament to, you know, the level that we, you know, hold cannabis and, and how it's a part of so many people's lives. And, you know, because of the end of prohibition, now you see these lineups, but, you know, before that, there was, it was just a lot of phone calls and, you know, 
people would run out of weed all the time and it, yeah. was, it was crazy now you can at least get in a lineup and, and just pop over and know mm-hmm. and know exactly and know exactly what you're getting right yeah like accessibility i think you know there's going to have to be some changes moving forward probably on how you you know go about getting your weed but um it definitely it, it is very important for you to not have to go across town to go to a dispensary like there should be one nearby yep i agree and it, it's that, there's so much more education out there on it isn't there you just if you know exactly what you're getting now which is always good yeah 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 so afterwards do you so did you even go back to whistler before you went on leno or was that did you go straight from like nagano or wherever you flew out of tokyo i'm assuming um and then to la and then up to whistler how'd that work out for you yeah that's what we did um after i got out of jail and the <laughs> police came and searched my hotel and did you get, and any, did you get my... any food at all when you're in jail i was in hungry okay you don't need a lot no no and i especially wasn't hungry then <laughs> um during that time i lost quite a bit of weight but um yeah I, after that whole thing i shit you not i walked into my room when it was all said and done yeah. and my phone was ringing in the hotel room at the ski resort and i'm like like as if i'm answering it like i don't feel like answering it or you know who in the world could it possibly be and it just never stopped ringing so i finally answered it and it was basically the tonight show of my buddy from whistler who knew the producer uh was contacted and it was him calling me to uh ask me if i would go to the tonight show like (laughs) the day after tomorrow basically so that was a weird sort of uh Pulp Fiction moment where well, I was just sitting there looking at my phone ringing and then it was the Tonight Show. Yeah, I guess and, so. Um, so that was like the first second I got back from the ordeal of getting my metal back, going to jail, having the police come up to the hotel and I finally get back to my room and my phone's ringing and it's like, hey, this is your new life. <laughs> now I'm flying first class on the 747 to LA and I'm staying at the Beverly Hilton and there's a Porsche there for me waiting and beautiful, you know, this is it. So <laughs> I'm 26 years old and I'm thinking, Holy fuck. <laughs> I guess so. You know? Yeah. And pretty that, crazy. Yeah. I'd imagine it. I, I, I would rewatch that, uh, that Leno interview. It's pretty good. It's pretty funny. Um, how do, how, how was, how was the whole ordeal back there? Who else was on the show that I saw? What's her name was, uh, like a supermodel was on it. Yeah. And, um, it's the young kid from Canada. Oh, I can remember. Yeah. Veronica, I think was her name. The musical act. Veronica Ver- Webb. Veronica Webb. That's right. <laughs> that Veronica Webb is one nice piece of, no. Uh, so then, yeah. so then Leno and then you go and then what? And then you tour right back up to Whistler and then it's gotta be a huge showdown, huge party. Yeah, I was, I was exhausted by that point and kind of like a zombie when I got back to Whistler and we had this amazing homecoming and uh, yeah, packed the village full of like people were in trees and on the roofs of the hotel and yeah, it was, it was super awesome homecoming and the whole controversy kind of cast a bit of a shadow over everything and kind of, I didn't know what to expect either. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, 
so anyways it was nice to, to have the see the support and and to feel the love and and uh you know to be part of a small community like whistler at the time um the way whistler was at the time uh, you know it was nice and and you know lots of familiar faces and it wasn't like you know, I did an appearance at the Eaton Center in Toronto, similar situation, like 10,000 people packed the foyer of the Eaton Center, but I didn't know a single person there. Right. And so a little bit different than the Whistler one, oh, but I can uh, also awesome and um, quite a lot to take in. Like, it wasn't like I was at the finish line of a race, but, you know, it was just me um, with 10,000 people looking at me. And, and so there was... Um, yeah, an adjustment to the whole, the new life, and it took my attention away from racing. And you know that that's a full time mental job being on the World Cup tour, and then with this whole sideshow going on, really made it impossible. So um, I didn't compete after the, the Olympics too much. I kind of did half a season the next year, and then um, it wasn't like my career was cut too short. But uh, I think it was at least by uh, maybe a couple of years. But, you know, I had there was other things going on and I just didn't have the um, there just wasn't an infrastructure to figure out how to maintain or to go about competing with this whole attention going on at the same time. I, I could just, I could just imagine, like, like you said, you were, you know, you were, you're very well known, um, for, for anybody who's ever on a mountain before this, before Nagano, you know, the Burtons all knew you, of course, I'm sure you know all them. Um, and then you go into all these, uh, these events afterwards where you're now the new gold medal winner and in, in international star. Were you always wearing that backwards red roots hat? Because those became infamous <laughs> during that time. <laughs> I think I just had that on at the Olympics. Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then I wasn't, uh, we did some functions um, on behalf of the Canadian Olympic Association where we had them on again um, for a ceremony in Calgary that, that spring of 98. But uh, for the most part, it was pretty much just with the, the pictures from Nagano that, that where I was wearing the, the beret. We all loved our uniforms too. And, oh yeah, and, they were great. Um, I look back. We, we thought, yeah. One thing I look back on when I'm looking at all these interviews is the fashion is just bad. <laughs> just some terrible. <laughs> yeah. Looking at all these interviews and the fashion is horrible, but it's hilarious. It's uh, it's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we talked like a little bit about, uh, so a bit of your fame and just, I always think like I would have a hard time um, dealing with any type of fame, uh, doing like, I'm a pretty sensitive guy and just having all of this attention amount that must, as you mentioned, that must've been, uh, pretty, pretty tough to, to take in all at the beginning. Right. Yeah, it was, there was some ups and downs for sure. Um, you know, I wasn't making any money and still barely do. <laughs> right. I'm just like everybody else out there trying to, you know, get her done and, and, um, so to be known and to be, you know, struggling to pay your bills at the same time was, um, had its challenges, but, uh, you know, there was, there's opportunity there still. And, and throughout the, you know, those years, you know, there were difficulties that were, had nothing to do with money that, uh, you know, the average guy or, you know, girl goes through anyways, you know, being in your mid twenties and then 
you know, going through, you know, I was probably affected mostly for probably 10 years after the Olympics. Right. So, um, by 2006, 2007, I was finally kind of coming out of the sort of whirlwind, um, that I was put in and I put myself into and not knowing, you know, what it would be like. So, you know, you kind of do things that you might not have done had it, if you would have known, you know, what it was, what it was going to be like, Mm -hmm. but there's just no way to know. Like, you know, you get an invitation to go to New York for an opening of, of something and then you get home and the next thing you're invited to go somewhere else. And so you do that a few times thinking no problem, but then, you know, after a few, like two years straight of, you know, doing too much, you know, and not making money and still having stress at, at home with, with that sort of thing, you sort of burn out. And um, so it was just kind of like going into the unknown um, and learning, you know, from your mistakes and coming out on the other end, you know, that much stronger and, and wiser. And, and um, so... Yeah, because there's no yeah, real, no real way to kind of stick handle through that when you don't really know, right? At that time, no. Now it's not like you, you know. Yeah, there's no handbook for, you know. No. And even if there was a handbook, it wouldn't give it. Like, like I've got three kids, right? Like these handbooks for parents. <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True enough, eh? True. Enough. Like if you if you're reading a handbook, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. True enough, right? Every day is different. Yeah. Like, that's not going to help you. No. And you got enough people looking over your shoulder saying, well, what are they doing? You know, I think it's about that? your, it really boils down to being like yourself and not pretending to be somebody else. Like if that happens to you, like, let's just say this is like your handbook to being a known person. Mm-hmm. Just don't try to be somebody else. Okay. That's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Did you struggle with that at all? Like when this all happened with all this instant fame, like, was that something that you may have struggled with? Um, well, I was already sort of dealing with a slight, slight or smaller version of it just within the snowboard, my snowboard career as a pro snowboarder, like being on the cover of magazines and yeah. being still in high school at the same time, you know, you kind of get known in your high school and, you know, you get known at the contest and you kind of, you know, I was already living that kind of life a little bit and learning along the way, like how, how to be like, you know, you can't be a dick, you know, <laughs> you <have laughs> yeah, to, you're the guy now. You, gotta, you have to be professional. And I was already a ski racer before that. And it's kind of like the way hockey players are brought up. Like you learn to be professional. And I was always, you know, cognizant of being a pro athlete and representing my sponsors and um, that whole nine yards. So, you know, the, it wasn't like I didn't have any experience. Um, with it, it was just at a greater level, yeah. and I basically just stuck to my guns and was like, "Well, you know, for sure, having the attention like your mind wanders on, you know, what potential, you know, opportunities there may be, and for sure, I probably overextended myself um, on some, uh, you know, real estate deals back in in the early two thousands and thinking that for sure I was going to have a lucrative, you know, endorsement deal and then I was going to develop this piece of property. And so there's a couple of times where I over speculated, I guess you could say on what the opportunities might be, but didn't really go down the whole, like, um, you know, I'm going to 
you know, continue to want to be somebody that people gotcha. yeah. recognize. I wasn't sort of like being recognized, but it was just kind of, well, this is the reality of it. And, you know, is there a way for me to, you know, navigate, you know, and make, I earn a living yeah. somehow yeah. and not to earn too much. I just need to earn a little bit. <laughs> I hear you, man. Yeah. Cause there's often a misconception, right? That, you know, you're Olympic gold medalist and all of a sudden it's just, um, dollars just floating in. But you know, that, that time was very different, wasn't it? Very, very different. Yeah. It was different as a Canadian athlete. It was different, but also yeah. as somebody who was thrown into a controversy with cannabis. Yeah. Punishable by death in some countries and, you know, added it the whole other layer to it that made it that much more trickier, I guess you could say, for me to well, yeah, you know, be that guy at the at the function and also, you know, have to deal with people that are either for it or against it and have to figure out how to de- deal with it. And so I just realized, you know, for me that, you know, my natural Thing was to support cannabis and yeah. to support it in the face of adversity no matter what and that it, it you know it had to be good for you if it was working for me the way it was and of course we still didn't really know even in the early twos how good cannabis was for you we were still on a hunch that it was good because there were people saying it was and I had my own firsthand experience but of course it's all been proven to be true and um yes it has so we're ecstatic that you know it's gotten to this this stage, but um, it does I think matter. And you know, being true to yourself, I think is the number one key. You know, in life, really. I couldn't agree. I absolutely couldn't agree more with that. Now it's like you didn't have this go-to guy when this all happened to you, but now that this has happened to you. There's been other instances around all these major sports that uh, have had guys come out, you know, fail drug tests, et cetera. You know, Michael Phelps, he had a big blow, of course, with uh, he got busted smoking some weed. Now you've heard some NBA players have come out now, Steven Jackson, uh, Matt Barnes talking about um, smoking weed. They they're no longer playing, so it's a little bit different for them now. But have you had any like former athletes at all like reach out to you and, and ask you any questions about this or you know maybe some share some experiences? Uh, yeah, there's been some athletes confide to me that they smoke weed and um, over the years it's becoming less of a novelty, right? But right. Um, back in the day, it was kind of definitely something that wasn't we didn't want you know the general public to know about and you know, or your parents for that matter and that sort of thing. So yeah. kind of made weed that sneaky, fun thing to do. Um, but uh, yeah, I had some, you know, a lot of swimmers for some reason smoke weed. Really? Um, yeah. Hmm. There's some cool culture around swimming. Snorkel bong? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, the, water, the, swimmers yeah. are, the swimmers are having fun. And I think, you know why? is because swimming is an early to rise sport. Like a lot of swimming training is done super, I don't know why, but it's done super early in the morning. And um, probably the, the weed is, makes it easier to go to bed early and easier to wake up early. Yeah, That's probably the reason. I guess so. Eh? But the culture of swimming is early morning. Gotcha. Yeah, Ryan Lochte had, uh, he had his, his fair share of uh, problems, that's for sure. Yeah, didn't he, wasn't he a 
uh, Rio getting in trouble? Yeah, I think he, he made up like some type of, he was at gunpoint. Was that? Out. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a full, full, full story on him. Yeah, because now um, I wanted to talk to you actually about your, we talked a little bit about, you got some time still? Because I, I don't, I want to respect, sure. I want to respect your time here. Yeah. Yeah, you're all right. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to talk about a couple things. One was afterwards about some of the X games that I know with the U.S. border crossing. But before we get to that, uh, about the U.S. Olympic, so the Olympic Village. Did you stay right in the Olympic Village? We stayed up at the ski resort in the hotel. Oh, okay. Did you get any access or did you go to the Olympic Village at all while you were there? Yeah, we had full access and I did go to the Olympic Village for the one day between waiting to go to um, Los Angeles for the Tonight Show, I, I went to a hockey game, watched Wayne Gretzky play, and um, I was in the uh, Athletes' Village and got a standing ovation by the athletes in the in the food court, which was awesome. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I've been to a couple of Olympics, like Salt Lake City, I was there as a spectator, and of course, um, same for Vancouver and there's always like a certain awesome energy that I've never experienced anywhere else besides at an Olympics. And, um, yeah, there was that energy in Nagano as well. So, I bet. um, yeah, it was good. It was good. There's lots of, you know, good times that were, that we had there that, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> can, you know can before you share, this all happened. Can you share like any Olympic village stories, uh, with me? Like any, any crazy ones? Or well, maybe? you know, we'd partied up at the hotel at the ski resort because I was only down in Nagano after and I wasn't partying too much after uh, that all happened. I was kind of shell-shocked, but we did have some fun up at the ski resort um, that night after the Olympics and some of the guys and you know, one of my buddies from Austria actually got kicked out of Japan that night <laughs> and um, he was having way too much fun. <laughs> and What do you do? Uh, somehow he ended up hurling a, a full beer somehow right through the lobby and it, and smashed into the sort of the receptionist area. Okay. And that's almost like a death penalty in Japan. Yeah. They don't like that. No. Um, that was, uh, you know, that was what happened. I think a front end loader got hijacked and was (laughs) being driven around by a couple of athletes i won't mention but, uh, but yeah you guys train was, you guys trained for so long and uh you train you train for so long and then you have to have this outlet right i guess so i mean we were all in our 20s too so oh. there's really no excuses like you know we're pretty much retards that are highly trained in snowboard racing <laughs> so um there's not a lot of common sense sometimes that you know out there, but, uh, no, I, I guess I was like one of the guys that kind of partied a little less than, than some of the other, uh, athletes. And, um, you know, there's always those athletes that like to party, right? It's just like cross section of society. And yeah, you know, a little bit of an outlet. Just, I, I remember I was up in, uh, I was up in Whistler for the, t- the 2010 Olympics. And I was there when, um, what's his name? He hosted the amazing race Canada and he was walking around with the, uh, with the pitcher of beer. Uh, the ginger guy. What's oh, that? yeah. 
Yes, I remember being there, and he got a hero's welcome walking through, uh, walking through Whistler. There it was it was fantastic, and then we watched the gold medal game at what was it called Market Square? Uh, yeah, Market Square. We had partied there the night before till about two thirty in the morning. Olympic Plaza. Yeah. yeah, and then we went back, and we got the exact same table for the uh, for the Olympic game, and then Blue Rodeo uh, ended up playing a live concert after. It couldn't get much more Amazing. much more Canadiana than that. So I'm sure no. I I saw that welcome for him. I could just imagine your welcome being the hometown boy uh, going back out there. It must have been incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was something else for sure. Some, I got a couple of pictures of that, and it's surprising to see each time, but uh, much appreciated, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I could just imagine. I just imagine. Um, well, now with the X Games. Now you weren't you weren't able to cross the border because you were never charged with any, anything. And I'm assuming that you you would most likely want to be part of the X Games, but you had they they kind of banned you from crossing the border. Is that true? Yeah, basically, I got on the no fly list, and I was having troubles before that. But during 9/11, I got on the no fly list um, in 2001, and um, at the time, I was still riding quite a bit. Um, I had been off the tour for less than two years and I was still, you know, right there ready to go and the X Games were getting bigger and it was probably my my next move. Um and then the no fly list just threw a wrench into it and I just didn't have the wherewithal to kind of go through the process with the the red tape to, to sort of fix the situation and I just kind of basically threw in the towel and was like it. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah and I understand the, yeah. the the security's up, but it's just the it's it's so strange to look back on. I'm sure it was such a huge pain in the ass for you, but very seems quite silly yeah. for a guy that was never charged for with anything. And yeah, and didn't do anything wrong. You know, it, yeah, it was just one of those things that you know was part of it, and yeah, it, you know, it was probably I would have gone to the X Games if that wasn't the case but i don't i don't know to be honest like like you say it's, it's just speculation but um yeah that did happen though that was that was uh you know there was a bunch of things that i had to look forward to that you know were cannabis related but there was also a bunch of things that i knew were going to be difficult and, and traveling i knew was going to be an issue it already was an issue like the states was so strict back in those days oh, and um, people were just getting thrown in jail for having weed on them and and um, back in those days so um, you know it was pretty sketch you know being a weed smoker you know 22 years ago 20 you know even before that while we were on tour leading up to the games you know each year gets sketchier as you go back right so uh, yeah but it was at the same time, it was fun and it was kind of a joke. Like, why is weed illegal? And you know, kind of like snowboard prohibition before they allowed snowboarding. It was kind of ridiculous that. Um, but you can, I can understand snowboarding. You know, not being accepted as, you know, and then going through that process to accept them with insurance and finding out that they're safe equipment and like weed never really had the opportunity to prove itself. They just banned it. Uh, for no reason, like, well, for, for corporate reasons, for corporate greed, right? But, of course. you know, it wasn't like there was a bad reason and that's the reason it, it's illegal. 
Yeah, just the stigma. The stigma just stuck with it, which is which is yeah. which is nicely nicely uh, wiping away now, um, which is just great for everybody. So you've been amazing here, and I and I've taken up a lot of your time, and I really appreciate. It, but I want to get you out of here. I just have a couple couple questions. So yeah. how, like in your words, how would you describe your journey? Oh, wow. It's been a long and interesting trip, man. <laughs> yeah, I know that's going to, it's kind of a loaded, a loaded question, but uh, I guess like, how would you describe your journey? And, um, and then uh, what's the plan like going forward right now? How are you doing? Well, it's, it's been an, an amazing journey. Um, you know, in, in an incredible life. I've had an incredible life and I've, I, you know, I have a family now and kids and stuff and that's, also incredible and um we're doing great we're all healthy and at home right now hanging out we've built dirt jumps uh we've been building dirt jumps in the backyard and yeah just doing kid stuff dad stuff and um you know getting the weed stuff going for for the future and um yeah just taking it one day at a time that's good man that's good and that's legacy is that legacy as well no, we're doing the Ross Gold brand, and we put Legacy on the on the we shelved it. Okay. Yeah, and um, so Ross is we're going, going with the. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, we're going with Ross's Gold and Craft Cannabis and um, Free Roll. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. So we'll see that in the next couple of years, probably. I'm gonna say. In 2022, you'll you'll be seeing that stuff. Okay. So it's, it's these these things in the new legal era don't happen overnight the way they did in prohibition. <laughs> no, no, I know because I know that you've been involved with the weed with the weed industry for a long time, and it seemed like you're uh, slightly ahead of your time. Yeah, and it probably was a little ahead of my of the of the curve, and and um, but what we were able to do is kind of find out if the support was real and the support is real and it's there and it's heavy. Like I've got heavy support. And, um, so that's the motivation I have to, uh, you know, to get Ross pulled, um, into the new regulated era of legalization. And, um, you know, we got that brand traction over those, those years of prohibition where we were, out there and I was putting my neck on the line. I had a store open, Rossville store here in Kelowna yeah. during Prohibition. We got, we won best dispensary two years in a row by Leafly. Um, you know, and I think the fact that, you know, I took those risks and really tried to be part of the future of cannabis and show what the future of cannabis looks like, you know, with our store and, and our branding and everything that, um, you know, and just, we were able to get the, you know, to show the people, like, we, we are in it, you know, for the people, like, to, to be in it then, before Prohibition ended, um, you know, was, was saying something that was, you know, this is what we're doing, this is what we believe in, uh, we want to be part of the movement, and, um, you know, this is how we're going to do it, and we, we kind of started off with our foray into cannabis obviously about eight years ago 
Right. And so seven years of prohibition to sort of wade through, like the government regulations hadn't even come down yet when we launched. And so we were just speculating on what the government would allow us to do. And they went with this whole medical LP program instead of allowing for dispensaries and, and stuff. So we sort of had to switch gears and that was during the Harper era. And um, instead of, I didn't want to make an application to have an LP license or to be one of these big LPs. Like I was, we're a brand, right? Because, you know, the LP is produced for the brands and that's the way it works in all industries. Like, you know, right. And, and so in my mind, and to this day, you know, for me, it's all about creating a brand that people resonate with, that has a story that people can relate to and that there's a person behind it and that's me. <laughs> and so there's this whole organic kind of genesis of how Rothschild started and how we went through prohibition, kind of taking some risks there and, and kind of really gaining the, the trust of the people that, you know, we're not just in it you know, for the buck. Like we really care about cannabis. We care about the people that use it and to try and keep the cannabis culture intact, you know, the way, um, you know, it started and, you know, with the, the tight knit communities of, you know, compassionate people, um, you know, coming together to help each other. And that's, you know, that's what we're all about. And so, yeah, it's taking some time in, in the new legal era to find the partnership that's, it's all about capitalization and yep. it's the real deal. It'd be like starting up a, you know, a, a big, you know, some other big company that in an industry like tobacco maybe, or, or, you know, try to start a new car company. I mean, it's something that, uh, so we're all about branding and licensing and, and we've got a, a few partners already that are um, licensing our brand to come out with the, the craft cannabis and the pre-rolls. And we've got, product placement in um, movies coming out in the next ah, couple of years nice. out of the United States. So um, we're going to be, um, I'm going to be in, in one of them. And um, so those, those uh, all coincide with our 2022 um, launch. So we've got time to kind of get our ducks in a row. We've got, we didn't want to be first in line to have a license or a dispensary right off the bat. We kind of wanted to wait and see what, how things turned out. And, you know, to be honest, if we were more capitalized, we probably would have, but um, as it turns out, you know, it was luckily, you know, we weren't able to um, get capitalized and it kind of stretched our game out a little bit, which actually gave us more insight into what's really going to, how it's rolling out, who we actually want to partner with, um, you know, partnering with somebody that already has licenses is way different than trying to go through the whole licensing process yourself. So that's also um, been advantageous. Right. Yeah. It's tough to be the, it's tough to be the first one at that line. Cause then you're, you're learning as you go. Whereas it seems like you, now you're coming in a little bit later where you can learn uh, from all these other companies yeah. and learn and yeah. get better from their mistakes. So you got a store that no one's heard of. Great. Right. So when we get our store, it'll be called Ross gold and everyone's going to know about it. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's kind of that we're, we're attacking it from the whole brand traction side of things first. And then once we're there, we'll open the, you'll see our product. 
I love it. Well, it's it's such a great logo, such a great name. It's got obviously you, an amazing spokesman uh, for it. And you can really hear with what you say, you certainly do not just echo, hey, uh, we're just doing this to get high. Like you do echo the how it helps you in your, your regular day life. Obviously you get for recreation use, but also, you know, CBD, um, joints, vaporizers, all the effects that it can have on you. So that's, you can definitely tell that in, uh, in your message. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of CEOs will actually smoke a joint with you. <laughs> yeah. I, I could just imagine. Right. And you just, we're just, you're just opening up so many doors. I think that's fantastic. I wish you, uh, wish you the best of luck. If you need anybody to try your product, uh, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. Uh, I'll be your greatest Thanks, spokesman. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for you, man. You take the time for me. I'll, I'll help you out in any way I can. All right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just want to say thank you uh, so much again. We uh, you're here for an hour and a half, and I really, I really appreciate this, Ross. Really appreciate this, man. Awesome. Good. Well, I'm glad uh, you you thought of me, and uh, yeah, well. We'll do it again. I'll have you on my podcast. I'll hey. give you a unit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You name, you name the time, man. And uh, we'll definitely have another chat. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm going to be following along uh, very closely here. And if anybody wants to follow Ross on uh, social media, Ross Redliati 98 What's your, your Twitter handle? I don't have Twitter no right Twitter? now. Yeah. And I just opened up a Facebook account recently. Okay. Um, picture of me on my race board. Okay. So, um, that I probably have about 50 followers on that. There's maybe more than one Facebook. Throughout the years of starting companies, there's been a couple of social media sites started on my behalf that I don't control. You're right. Gotcha. And, gotcha. And, and anyways, but you're right. Ross Rob Betty 98 is my personal Instagram account. And then um, I think there's a link from my Facebook account to yeah. Instagram or whatever. But anyway, yeah, please go check it out. And I answered, you know, all the DMs and, and all the comments and everything like that. So, yeah, man. You're, uh, yeah. you're, you're a solid dude for, uh, taking the time to, uh, to speak with me. Um, I loved your journey. I loved what you're all about, man. Uh, obviously your gold medal speaks for itself and, uh, awesome. I, I wish you, uh, you, I'm glad to have a chance to talk with you and I, I wish you best of luck, brother. And then don't be a stranger. Awesome, Mike. Well, uh, back at you. Appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, brother. We'll we'll, uh, we'll speak with you soon. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Ross. Bye for now. All right. That was Ross. This is me. This is me checking off. Thanks for tuning in to one and two. If you haven't listened to all the others, go take a look. Some of them are pretty cool. A pretty eclectic mix of people focusing on sports, but just a little bit of everything. So, yes, thanks as always, and we will talk to you soon. Peace.